awareness as a practice. So awareness as a practice. We we have the concept, the idea, the name awareness, and we all assume we know what that is. But it may not be exactly what I mean by that. So to actually practice prioritizing the awareness, it seems to be necessary to be very aware of what is arising in the awareness. This is arising in your awareness, in your awareness. My hand spinning around is arising in your awareness. When the awareness is uh, a practice, then you are seeing, you are witnessing, you are observing the space in which those things occur. And at the same time, not missing what's arising in that space. The idea is not to fasten on anything. And the way we work with that is to see the way we fasten, we fasten on it. Because you can't stop doing that unless you first have a good idea of how you keep grabbing at something. A good example of that would be someone you've never met before walks in a room. And instead of just being aware of that, just simply, instead we, we throw things into it. They're, um, they look like my cousin. They, uh, they seem to be walking funny. Um, we add their age. We add, we interpret. Uh, sometimes it gets so intense that we actually uh, are extremely prejudiced against them. We might be really in favor of them uh, just immediately without anything, just based on causes and conditions that are impossible to trace. We can't find the source of anything. You can find sources. The source of this sound is these two things coming together in space and stopping. It says silence on there in Chinese characters because that's after they come together. That's when the silence starts, as if it's ever ended. So we impute or we think or we imagine that we, we just see this causes that. So that's the end of that. But we don't, uh, if we do try to go any deeper than that, we see that you can't really find the first cause. You can't, you'd have to go back and find out where this tree and how, when they took it out of there and when they cut it into this shape, uh, who carved those little glyphs in there, uh, where these hands came from. I'm not, I'm not just being silly about it. I'm saying it really, to really look deeply into the source of everything, it just starts to spread out all over the place. The causes and conditions. Causes and conditions are uh, innumerable there can't trace them or count them. This is what the Buddha meant when he taught uh, that everything is dependently arisen. Nothing comes from its own side as a solitary being or self without all of the causes and conditions that came together for that being to even be there. Starting with your mother and your dad, your grandfather, your grandmother on both sides, and all the way back. Not to mention uh, everything else that had to be exactly in place for you to actually appear at the time you did when you were born. Then once you're born, then you get to uh, your uh, fundamental, your consciousness, your awareness, it gets to ride along in this uh, container we call a human form for a while. Three years, eight years, 20 years, 100 years, until it comes to an end. Anything that starts up is going to end. It's called impermanence. So why, why am I, as anyone, uh, emphasizing the awareness part of the consciousness? There's all kinds of things are going on in consciousness. The, um, the consciousness that is not uh, a part of our focus or part of our witnessing is actually happening also. That's what controls your body temperature, controls the, the amount of uh, uh, glucose in your brainstem. 
and so on. All of the little things that are all being modulated and attenuated and so on in your whole, just the biological part, not to mention the that which is beyond, beyond the biology, which is, for lack of any other word for it, we would call it our spirit. So awareness as a practice would be um, the idea that we... Um, it's taught here is a shikantaza, or the Japanese translation is just precisely this. Just precisely this. So if you sit down, hold still, especially if you sit in a symmetrical position where your, your back is straight, you're alert, the body and the mind are not as separated as they look. You can't find the mind, so as I say over and over again, we can find the body. Hold the body very still for long periods of time. You don't have to be a Buddhist particularly. It's going to help because down through the centuries, people have been doing this kind of a practice as students of the Buddhist teaching and other Buddhist teachers down through the ages. And it's good to have a little help. It's good to, when you're wondering what this is, to go into the traditional teachings, the sutras and so on, and study those so that you have some kind of a mental um, support for even doing such a thing as awareness practice sometimes called meditation, but then I'm not using the word meditation because uh, meditation, go, you know, go on to Amazon and you'll have countless numbers of books on meditation. When I started doing this uh, many years ago, there wasn't much. And I think in, this, in the 60s, when I first read about Buddhism, I think in the library or in the, there wasn't any Amazon, of course. <clears throat> Things were better than actually, in some ways. So, there was a few books. Uh, I'm sure that uh, there, there were scholarly books because they're uh, in universities and so on, but they weren't available at the local library necessarily. So awareness as a practice, uh, the idea there is to see fundamentally, see fundamentally. This means right through your projections, your ideas, your concepts, your hopes and fears. Going back to the uh, the idea of if you can, when you meet someone for the first time, if you can look at that person and not have any extra thoughts, no judgments, no ideas arise, and no um, analysis or judgments, if you can do that, then you're probably quite a bit of awareness is being prioritized there. Difficult to do that. Uh, I'm not saying stop thinking. I'm just saying be aware. And if you are aware, if that's a priority, then the thinking process it may come in and it may not, but it won't. It won't swipe your awareness and fill your awareness up with a bunch of thoughts about what this is, who, what, what's going on, whether you should do this, whether you shouldn't do that. Was this a good person, a bad person, a good situation, a bad situation, and so on. And so the idea there by strengthening the awareness. How are you doing, this gentleman right here? How are you doing? Yeah, are you okay? Good. How about you? Was your name Jordan? Right. Yeah. Nice to meet you. So what did I just do? Anyone? Included. Was that what I did? How did it look to you? Did you ask a question? Okay. 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 Anyone else? There's no right or wrong here. I'm just asking you about it. Very difficult to be aware of something, someone, some situation out here, or some thought or memory or a thought pattern that's going on in the so-called interior situation of our mind without adding on to it or in analyzing it, or is it a good thing or a bad thing, or should I or shouldn't I? There's a constant rumination around what we should do next. And so this is why it's so valuable to meditate, to find some time in your life to come into a room, this room, if you can, 
or come into your bedroom or your kitchen or your dining room, your hallway, sit down, hold still, sit in a symmetrical, symmetrical situation, have a wall in front of you. And the reason for the wall is not because walls are so cool, but because you, you actually are, you have your eyes open, but not much is happening. Just like you would turn your stereo off and you would maybe tell other people in the house, I'm going to go meditate for a while, so I'll be back in an hour or two. That way people won't bother you. And then you sit down and you observe or receive what's happening in your mind. If you don't do that, then you will be at the mercy of the areas of your mind that are unexamined and are impulsive, reactionary, and are based on hope for good things and fear of bad things, and are constantly going back and forth between the two. Question. Often you say that not so important the content that comes up. So the example you gave was someone coming in the room, mm-hmm. and uh, if we're practicing, have an awareness practice, their difference if we see them without a projection or if we see them and notice our projection? It's pretty hard to see them without a projection. So uh, the beginning situation would be to see the projection, see the way... Don't stop it. If you if someone comes in and you're that you're that triggers some other kind of negativity, or do not don't do anything with it. Don't try to stop doing that and make yourself into a better person. Don't look for a more highly polished or refined identity. And go the other way around and look and see the way in which you keep making things more confusing, because that's the area that through the awareness practice, that's the that is the area. That by observing that we see the way it gets its fuel, and we and this we don't you don't even have to shut it off just because you're so clear on what's happening you you it just starts to back off on its own you don't get to get a credential for it or get credit for it whereas if you go the other way around and you try to fluff yourself up and be a really good person who's always helping everybody and is never critical of anyone that's probably not going to last very long that's kind of polishing the outside of a What's some really terrible thing you could polish? I'll let you use your own imagination. <laughs> There's some traditional ones, of course. <laughs> so let's go into the actual situation. That's what's being said. Uh, like uh, the, um, like I was saying earlier, you, there. Are, if you went into uh, probably uh, I don't know Wikipedia or something like that, put in meditation, you would have just countless, probably hundreds of different kinds of. Uh, forms, styles, methods of meditation, and they they probably probably would all have some kind of a of a validation. Or this works because of this. Or this works because of this. I know the the Tibetans are quite notorious for bragging about themselves. Uh, Vajrayana is uh, the only direct path to enlightenment, and I'm not going to argue with them. But I'm just saying, anytime you hear a lot of promotion going on, it's it's just uh, fishy. Uh, that being said. A lot of that is because they want so much to help. So they, they know that the, those practices are very, very intense, time-consuming, and are like being uh, tied to a cinder block. Shikantaza, or sitting still, holding still, looking at the wall, is also has a similar kind of, uh, of uh, capturing your, because you, capturing your, uh, uh, your awareness or, con- or giving you some kind of a container where you can train yourself to see more clearly. It's, it's very, very difficult to, to think your way out of any kind of dilemma. And if you have a, just a, a couple of things, you have a bad temper, you're very jealous, you're, or you're, uh, you're depressed, or any kind of emotional thing, there's you know, countless numbers of things that we could describe. And quite often what we do is when we have any kind of an issue, uh, we 
we go and try to find an expert. I can tell you the expert you need to turn to. Who do you think that is? Yourself. It's you, you have to do this. Uh, as a teacher, I would never think of taking your intelligence away from you and trying to get you to just do what I say. On the other hand, I say, train your mind. I'm not saying believe everything I say. I often say, don't believe a word I say, uh, that I say. You don't have to believe anything. If you're here, you might as well listen. But as soon as we start going to someone else, it's not that if we have a appendicitis or something, we're going to do surgery on ourselves. That's a little bit different situation. Uh, but but uh, as far as our mind, as far as our awareness, as far as that, that particular area, um, that seems to be necessary for each one of us to see ourselves. And... Uh, it's not that you couldn't get help from a counselor or a therapist or a psychiatrist or a meditation teacher or your friends or your uh, or, uh, you know, if you had difficulty with uh, drugs, uh, go, go to AA or go to the, all the other things that they uh, teach, uh, moral inventory and uh, cognitive behavioral approaches. It's not that those can't be helpful, but fundamentally, you might want to just start out with your own mind. Sit down, hold still and see the way in which you keep deceiving yourself, because that's what will lead to the various ideas, emotions, and so on. It's not about believing in Buddhism or believing in anything or disbelieving in anything. This whole place, even though Buddhism is the is the way it is, uh, um, it's the form that this takes. But the fundamental uh, exercise or um, practice of awareness is not exactly. It's not really tied to uh, Buddhism necessarily. It's just that Buddhism is a way to do this. And so once you understand that, then when you sit down, there may the ideas of Buddhism may be there, they may not be. But what is fundamentally there is you and your mind. Something that won't happen naturally. And if you're if you're moving even a little bit, that whole uh, awareness part, the, the spaciousness of the mind, which the, the metaphor I often use is uh, are clouds in the sky, the thoughts and emotions and feelings and memories and judgments and evaluations and all those other. All that other spaghetti is uh, are just cl- are like clouds, and the sky is the fundamental nature of your mind. It's like is like the sky. There's not a cloud that can, no matter how horrible, how terrible the weather is in your mind, it can't it can't leave a mark on who you are. It can't leave a mark on your fundamental fundamental nature of who you are, which is your as said traditionally in our practice here, your Buddha nature, your awakened nature. So we need to strengthen the sky, to use more metaphors. We need to, to prioritize the openness in which the thoughts occur, the openness in which the clouds appear. You can't have clouds without a sky. In some sense, in several senses, the clouds are the sky. They're not separate from the sky. And the thoughts are not separate from the mind or the, or the awareness. But it needs to be... Go ahead. Do you have a question? Go ahead. How you is, thought I was going to miss that by going like this. How is uh, what's rising in awareness different from rises in consciousness? Well, it's the same. I'm using consciousness. or uh, we use uh, awareness as more of a, the area that you're looking at, that you're giving your attention to. Whereas consciousness starts to get, like I'm, if I'm looking uh, directly, I'm, uh, maybe I'm looking at you and listening to your question, but, but my consciousness is all over the place. So I'm conscious... Even though I'm not focused on my knee, if my knee starts to hurt, my 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 awareness will go in that direction. Or if somebody uh, 
over here coughs, I might notice that. If someone, if I see a, a movement over here, someone's hand go up, I might not be looking there until I, the movement happens, and then my some of my awareness goes that direction. If the awareness is always receiving, if you're actually training your mind to just receive, when the thoughts arise and receive, don't add to them, don't evaluate, don't judge, but it, but it might have to start out as watching how much you judge, watching how much you evaluate. So you might have to, you could say, kind of back into that sky rather than try to dive into it head first. Go ahead. More? Is, what is the point at which our awareness turns to being uh, a projection evaluation? Good one. So you're, you're sitting, something occurs, maybe a memory of something. You're sitting, I'm just using this as an example, and you begin to add something to it, you begin to interpret it. Say you're sitting... To use the idea of a sitting meditation, you're in, the, you're in the zendo, you're in the meditation hall, you're sitting, you're looking at the wall, and someone comes in, and instead of closing the door quietly, they, they let the door slam. Then you, just about impossible not to add something onto that. Like, they shouldn't do that. They should close that door more quietly. Haven't they been trained? Is it a new person that doesn't know? Uh, did the wind catch the door? Are they deliberately trying to irritate me? That's a good one. Is, is that Sokazan doing that to see if I'm going to jump? <laughs> wham! Wham! <laughs> You'll notice that if you're in the room and you're just including that whatever arises, uh, whatever arises is totally at home. It's totally welcome to come into your consciousness without any particular disturbance. One of the ways you can notice this is if you're sitting and you're kind of... Uh, you're not sure what time it is, and you're sitting and sitting, and then the gong rings, and and you it just gets included. It's just like it was it was like you knew it was coming, though you weren't thinking about it, and it's just just gets included, or like a, a a loud noise. Maybe maybe there is a door slam, and you do nothing with it. You just you barely register. You you hear the sound, but it's like there's no one hearing a sound because it's just awareness. So it doesn't immediately go into the object, which is the slam, and then the person that you are, the subject, witnessing that, and then adding on to, it shouldn't be happening, I shouldn't do that. I should not I should be able to listen to that without having any reaction. That would be the other one. So uh, going the other direction, uh, someone can be sitting, and if, they're, if you're lost in thought, in other words, if you're in some kind of a daydream, not wrong, not, not, this is not a, cor- not a correction by any means, it's about awareness. So you may have to get lost in a daydream for a while. But if you are doing that, if you're sitting and you're in, if you're not in this room, really right here, then when that gong rings, you might jump. Or when the door, then you might jump if the, if the door slams. Whereas if uh, if you're in the room, then anything can happen. And it's just, it, it, there's no no one including it. You you just don't object. You just, uh, it just no, you just notice that your mind is a, is a, is a very vast, and there's room for all kinds of things to come and go in your form. Any other? Yes. What's the function of a form if it's not about right or wrong? It's about awareness. Right or wrong is extra. Right or wrong, right or wrong is is a, a position uh, based on uh, on hope and fear, based on gaining and losing, based on relative truth, based on the eight worldly dharmas of praise and blame. Right and wrong. Anything that has a polarity to it. A Buddha awakening or a complete sanity of the Buddha. This is a wood carving. It's not the Buddha. But complete sanity. In other words, no longer at war with anything. Someone who is no longer at war with anything is, whether they practice Buddhism or not, is uh, is awake, is, uh, is the Buddha, not separate. 
Now, the path going to that might be, with each person, might be a process of slowly what educating yourself about right and wrong. As soon as someone, as soon as you grasp anything, even if it's enlightenment, even if you if you think you're uh, like I sometimes say, if you think you're awake, uh, you're not. You're deluded. You're actually making a statement that you're deluded. If you if you think you're awake, occasionally I meet people like that. Usually they're extremely smart. One of those people. Just checking. I was going to say you've been here for years, so I doubt that you're going to stumble into that sinkhole. More about that would be good. I think it'd be helpful if you have more questions about it. I'm just looking at the, the contrast of um, teaching form that's really tight and then not having it at all. How does, how does the form... So you need the form so that the awareness has, uh, so that there's some kind of openness around that form. So you need the form, just like if you're practicing uh, Qigong, if you're practicing uh, uh, Tai Chi, if you're practicing... Uh, um, karate or some other for any kind of form like that allows the awareness to move a lot if there's a strong form especially if it's not enforced but if it's done if it's something you're doing as a practice rather than something you're being told to do or ordered to do, then it doesn't work so well then it's just a matter of being a slave to someone else's direction so this doesn't mean that you aren't going to have a feeling that you're right or feeling that you're wrong just don't believe it so you, as you hear me say so many times, don't believe your thoughts. If I believed my, my thoughts, I couldn't do this because I'm always having terrible thoughts, really terrible thoughts. Yeah, those kind. You all know what I'm talking about. You have terrible thoughts. And what am I saying? Don't believe it. That doesn't mean reject it or disbelieve it. It means don't do anything with it. It's an amazing uh, quality or, or uh, dynamic of consciousness that if you don't do anything with grasp, I believe it. Uh, throw away, I don't believe it, or shut down, distract yourself. If you don't do anything with the awareness, you're free. You're free of your own emotions. You're free of other people's emotions. This doesn't mean you're not going to have negative feelings. It's just that they they can't find a person that is upset about it. You can't find a person that wants to not feel that way. This is a big beginning of compassion. Compassion is not something you can do. It's something you are. And how, how, do, you, how do you do that? Or how do you... Um, how do you be compassion, I guess would be the only way I could come up with, is to uh, no longer go to war with anything. No matter how evil it is, how horrible it is, don't fight with anything. That doesn't mean join it or support it or even allow it to occur. If you see someone, as I've said, I've used an example before, if you see someone going and hurting someone else and you're in a position to do something about it, you should stop them. But I'm not saying you should do it out of some kind of a judgment. It should be done out of just a complete understanding of the space that you're in. The example I sometimes use, uh, you have a, uh, there's a, um, a mother and a, say, and a, and a child are walking down the road and the, and the, the child uh, breaks away from the mother and runs out into the road and you see an oncoming car. You don't call over to the mother and say, is it okay if I save your child? No, you save the child. You know, you, I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a little bit of a made-up example, but it's that kind of thing. You operate out of your awareness. There isn't anything that isn't an emergency. If you think you're, there is, then you'll, you'll debate about things. And what do I mean by this? I mean, operate out of this right now all the time. It's always this. If you see an emergency, then, then you, you don't think about it. You function. You function. And there's no self doing it, and there's no other. You're just functioning. It's possible. Yes, sir. Can forms become something that we hide behind? If you, they can, if you don't understand them. That's why this place has been created. 
because I know I, I had to deal with this situation by myself for what, three or four, three, three and a half decades. It's very difficult to not have, uh, be able to directly talk to a teaching person, someone who had some understanding of it. So it's uh, the form is not too tight, not too loose. It's the middle way of Buddhism. Not tight, but not so tight that you clamp down on it, and not so loose that the rabbit gets away. If you're talking about rabbits, which is, I think that's where you're going. Let's <laughs> so go ahead. How can we relate to them? Don't add to them, and, and don't uh, analyze them. Just relate to the form. You're taught the form. This is when you come up to the altar as a, as a doshi, uh, and to perform, uh, offer incense. Uh, just, just relate to it very simply. There's no way you can ever do the forms correctly. If you do this hundreds and hundreds of times, which I'm not sure if you're up into the hundreds yet, but you're, that was probably many, many dozens. Uh, how are you doing? Are you pretty good at forms? <laughs> I just love the way Shoto does forms. It's probably one of the, it's like that other one that I, uh, Trung Rinpoche talks about, that you're one of the greatest bodhisattvas who's ever lived. You're so kind and so generous to everyone that just, it probably isn't anybody as nice as you are. It's that kind of bodhisattva. A bodhisattva being a, a Buddhist saint. Uh, Shane in Texas, he asks, if no thoughts arise, can you tell a, tell a thought to arise if you need it to? I don't know about tell a thought, but you, if you, if there's, if, if uh, the awareness is, has the priority, if you're leading your life with your awareness, in other words, there's an openness of receiving everything, receiving sight, sound, smells, taste, through the six sense seals, including the mind, if you're just on receive all the time, and you don't have some kind of paranoid smoke screen in front of you, so nothing uh, happens that's threatening, then then when it's time to think, the think the thinking is in the service of the awareness, rather than the, the awareness is in the service of the thinking process, which is basically paranoid. So then, yes, and you would, time to think about something, then then the, the awareness starts to fill up with, uh, you know, how to uh, how to put gas into a lawnmower, how to fix, uh, how, to, how to deal with the door that's uh, frozen and won't shut. So you'd start by stop, stop slamming it. I, I know Mason's not watching, he doesn't watch my <laughs> Anyway, he was, uh, this morning he's trying to get on the plane and he's trying to get that door to close and he, he, I, he was slamming it and slamming it and slamming it and then he came back inside and we got a hair dryer out we were blowing the hair dryer on the lock and everything trying to get it to thaw because that we you know assumed that that's why it, maybe that was a, the reason fundamentally but then Uno came out and went click <laughs> we came back out so she says I just closed it <laughs> she's very good at not bragging or rubbing it in <laughs> you didn't even say to me said, what in the hell were you thinking you that door are you an idiot <laughs> it was very funny <laughs> for you know six in the morning or whatever it was we, we're, and I'm in there, <laughs> I'll tell you my thinking process, I'm thinking of see a hair dryer, and I'm thinking, let's see, we've got a bungee strap and hook that onto the door, and they hooked it onto, where are we going to hook that other <laughs> And I even got some string, I was getting ready to, well, maybe we can tie it to something, so she closes the door. <laughs> Quite funny. It's a nice kind of embarrassment, though. Further questions? Yes. Uh, from Andrew yeah, in Grand Rapids. I know him. He asks, how can we be patient when every moment is an emergency? Those are not separate from each other. 
Maybe I can point it out in this way. You'll notice that when there is a really intense emergency where you're panicked, everything slows right down. You have all the time you need to get to what you need to. It just, it's like somebody else's, I'm not saying if you're, you know, some people are, are extremely uh, um, panicked really easy, but then a lot of us, uh, I'm referring to, in this case, to Andrew, that, you know, if something is really an emergency and you know that you need to function, you're not going to fill it up with uh, a bunch of fear. You're just going to function. And that's uh, true with every moment. That's true with this moment. It's true when I come in here and bow to this altar and come over here and sit down and I have a talk title, which I couldn't even remember. And now I'm talking and all these words are coming out of nowhere. And you might say, well, that's obvious. Well, just saying that everything is an emergency. It's just a way of saying that it's always right now. The, the emergency takes us into a, a kind of space where, where there's no emphasis on success and failure. There's no emphasis on who's, how I look or... Um, you know, you just run into the street and grab the child and bring the child back. And then, then you might kind of panic when you realize what you've just been through and how close that, what a close call that was. We probably all have some kind of a story like that where something functioned really, really immediately and very quickly without no forethought in particular. If we're not, if we're receiving this happening, what's underneath how it's not the mercy of Because, because we, we, we see how, uh, uh, how, how we deceive ourselves. And we see what, what a fool we are to assume that we know everything about everything. It's, it's, the, it's the beginning. If, if someone is ever going to be, if you or anyone in here is ever going to be in a situation where someone would say that you were humble or you had humility, it would be because you looked so deeply into yourself and saw that you were, uh, how full of yourself you are. Not just you, but anybody. You have to really go in and look and see that. It is not about being beating yourself up. It's about seeing that you really can't really know very much in terms of some kind of knowledge that sets you above everyone. So the sense of, uh, I don't, wouldn't call it self-effacement, but uh, not being particularly pretentious about anything. And if you're, uh, as I've said, sometimes said, if you, if you know you're a fool, then it's pretty hard for anybody to make a fool out of you. If you know that you're, you're, don't have the kind of, uh, a narcissism or self-centeredness that is always looking out for your own advantage more just 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 observe it you may try to cover it up and then just observe that and, and everyone is a little different quite a bit different so people may do that in different ways have you ever noticed where you've just made a mistake on something you don't want anybody to know that then there's the other way where you want to tell everybody so you can be the kind of person who admits their mistakes catch you coming and going there's just no way to win michelle so with that example, where's... Don't do anything unless you have to. Do nothing. Just sit here. Stay there. Just... There really isn't anything particularly particular to do unless uh, situations arise in such a way that if you're in this uh, human form, then you may have to run out in front of the car and save somebody. Or you may have to... You're sitting here. You get hungry. Maybe time to go eat. Need money uh, to get a job. I mean, it's just it's a very relative, very situational thing that's happening. But when you see negativity, as I've said before, don't believe your thoughts because if the thoughts come up that are negative and are, are getting a hold of you uh, and you try to get rid of them, that means you believe them. You're not going to get rid of something that is unreal. If it's unreal, it's just like uh, they're like dreams. The Buddhist teaching uh, talks about illusion all the time. And it's not saying it's not here. It's not there. It's just unreal. It's not substantial, and everything is impermanent. 
So anything that arises up, I don't care how solid it is, it won't last. Uh, Mariah uh, from Texas asks, uh, what does it feel like to be free from your emotions? Is it just a sense of being okay with anything that happens or something else? It's not necessarily being okay. That's a good question. It's not necessarily being okay. It's just that you are, you have a willingness to experience your life. So sometimes with no no reason why, suddenly you start to feel really intense emotions, maybe, and rather than go into some kind of naming thing or some kind of a way of backing away from it by calling it depression or by blaming somebody for, well, I must feel this way because. This, is, this, is, this goes into the whole belief that something needs to be done about it. It is possible to experience uh, a whole gamut of emotions and feelings and memories and everything without uh, any particular reaction at all. No belief, grasping, no disbelief, uh, aggression, and no shutting down or ignorance, no looking away or either deliberately looking away through your activity by distracting yourself into something else or by uh, drinking alcohol, which is another way of distracting yourself. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have a beer or something, unless you have a problem with that particular thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't go on vacation or you know, enjoy yourself. It's, it's when it becomes some kind of an agenda about getting rid of something or about getting to something. So as far as uh, uh, Mariah's uh, question, it would be sitting down in front of the wall, practicing, practicing, uh, watching whatever rises, uh, uh, good, bad, and indifferent, however you want to say it, and doing nothing with it, and getting so you can, you're, you get, you get so that you're able to actually experience your mind without reacting to it. Because as soon as you react to anything, you shut down. As soon as you grasp at something, you, you actually stop the awareness of what you're actually grasping disappears and it becomes an object. Before then, before you do anything with it, you're not really not separate from it. And that doesn't particularly feel like uh, an accomplishment. In response, you right. we have a willingness to feel yes. our life. Yes. Does that willingness to say feel depressed show up in depressed? You might have a feeling that you, you're no longer naming that anymore. You notice it. You 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 don't have a... You don't put a sticker on it because quite often the, the reason we want to name things is so we can get them to back away. Well, at least I know what it is. At least I know what's caused it. That's the difficulty uh, with doing that because sometimes somebody does do something to us that triggers negativity, but it's our negativity. When I say our, I'm saying it's, it's our whole mind stream that is being triggered and the person triggering it may be totally unaware, just like if somebody cuts you off in track at traffic. It triggers something. They don't know what they're doing. They're they're trying to get to the golf course or whatever. What's the difference between someone causing something to us and a trigger? So a lot could be said about that. Uh, you could even take it so far as to say that that you cause everything yourself. But that's getting a little bit highfalutin because that's going to say that you're not separate from anything. So you could say if someone uh, scowls at you, it might cause negative feelings. And they might be scowling just because they have an upset stomach. Nothing personal at all. It's not even about you. It's you're sensitive to someone's uh, negativity. Or they could actually come up and, you know, push you out of the way or you know, or call you a name or something deliberate like that. And that would, uh, but both of those are just kinds of triggers. And, and, and what needs to be seen there, if I may say it this way, I've said it similarly, is that, a person who is deliberately doing something to you uh, is uh, 
wouldn't be doing that if they weren't suffering themselves. And, and one of the ways we get rid of our suffering is to go to war with someone else, to blame someone. If you, if you ever listen to two people argument, argue, especially when you're not involved in it, it's just obviously warfare. It's like teeter-totter warfare. You know, it's like incoming. You, know, you, you have wars, but it's based on the projections of each person. I'm right, they're wrong. And it's, it's unsearchable in the sense you can't find the first cause for anything. Like I was saying about the sticks, the clackers putting those together. You can blame this one for what for the sound, or you can blame this one. You can blame both of them. But there's no first cause. You can blame my hands for picking them up. It's just, and I'm not trying to be vague. I'm just saying that it goes back and back and back if we look at it in terms of cause and effect. So we don't want to look away from cause and effect, but we also don't want to grasp onto it and start, like our society, somebody, the example I've used before is uh, somebody who's a young, a child is uh, raised by two people who are crackheads or addicts or something, and, or, or are alcoholics or something, and don't take care of their child, and that child grows up and eventually looks for some kind of companionship and goes to a gang and then gets involved in some kind of law-breaking, and then goes to prison, uh, you know, it's a misunderstanding of the situation. It, rather than, you know, the whole punishment idea shouldn't even be done to the parents. We should help them, find a way to help others, rather than turn them into, uh, even the people who are completely wound up in themselves still are suffering on some level. So, you know, you could blame that person for robbing a party store or something like that. It just goes on and on. I use that example because I, I met someone in, going into prisons and teaching meditation in prisons who was uh, practicing meditation. and That's how he got into prison. Um, this time it would be about 30 years ago. He's an old man now. He went in when he was, I don't know, 14, 15, Michigan Department of Corrections. Not, not a good way to work with So this doesn't mean that when someone does something inadvertently and it triggers something, it's still... The, the cause and effect is going to go on whether we see the nature of it or not. And the nature of it is, even though it's very intense, don't necessarily believe it. Don't disbelieve it. Don't look away from it. And just work with it as it, as it appears. One one time it might you might be more clear that that person is treating you ill because they are so upset themselves. They also might be treating you that way because of something you did to them. It's just an endless cycle Excuse me, of warfare. So a good idea to slow way down and be willing to experience your life, your feelings and your emotions without making demands that you feel better. As the Buddha said, life is suffering. Life is dissatisfaction. Not particularly nihilistic, just realistic. Further questions? We're at the end of our... Yes? Uh, there's another question from Andrew, but I think there might be a word missing. Unless I'm not I, Andrew wouldn't leave out a word. <laughs> <laughs> People uh, might put too many words in there. Oh, maybe that's it. Uh, he asks, can it be helpful to label what comes we observe when we sit? So there are teachings uh, observing uh, the early teachings of the Buddhism and, and, and uh, early the Theravadan teachings. There are lots of things of saying of actually uh, using the awareness to kind of lock down, but it has to do with a little bit of control motivation happening there, thinking, 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 returning to the breath, thinking, thinking, um, thinking about this, thinking about that. Uh, there's, there's a whole series of uh, instructions and training that have, that go that direction. So, uh, and I'm, I'm saying if you gravitate towards that, then go do it. But if you're 
you're listening to me, I would say just observe what moves. You don't, you don't really need to go in and with some kind of uh, try to become a good person. Just find out what this is rather than try to control it. The control idea is very, very uh, seductive and very, especially if somebody tells you, I've been doing this and I've been doing this and I'm just doing so much better. And I just, anytime you hear any sales pitch, uh, it's like you should, what do they call that? Red flag should go up. Yes, that's it. If anybody promises you anything, uh-uh. yes. Uh, actually, he put an extra word in. <laughs> so the question is, can it be helpful to So learn? I was right. <laughs> <laughs> Can it be helpful to label what we observe when we sit? Uh, <clears throat> so it, it could be. Um, I would say in in the case of Andrew, I would say no. Andrew needs to do shikantaza. He's already, when I say he, I'm saying you, <laughs> are already doing enough labeling. Tava. Do it anymore. <laughs> and, and you know, there is a practice where you sit and you say, uh, you think, uh, uh, there's the one that's uh, when you actually eat, you say lifting, 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 chewing, chewing, chewing. You actually track it. I can't think of the, the poly name for that, but it's, uh, I think it's, uh, it's not going to come back to me. But it's, it's a very spe- specific practice where you're actually labeling every little movement of everything. And I would say, go ahead. Not, not, not Andrew. <laughs> so more with, with uh, anyone who's listening to me is probably ready to, or you wouldn't be in here, ready to actually just see the space. You don't have to, you don't have to uh, run, uh, run down uh, all the naming and all the analysis and everything. You don't have to do that. Not necessary. Just see the space. Do a lot of it. Any further questions? Thank you so much. And I'd like to again bring your attention to the donation boxes in the hallway. We're always ready and willing to receive your generosity. May the this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way.